The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. You are welcome here. Now, we need to keep going because of time. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking, Lord, for the presence and power of your glory to fill this place. We thank you, Father, that you are good in all of your ways. We thank you that you are for us, not against us. And Father, as we bring your word, we want to encounter you. Father, you are the one who makes the difference in our lives. It is because of you that we are changed. It is because of you that we've been set free from our sins. It's because of you that we have life. And Father, we are praying this morning, encounter us afresh. Let the glory of your presence come upon us to refresh us, to strengthen us, Father, so that as we go from this place, Lord, that we can make connections with this world with your power and presence that will bring transformation. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And we're in a series called Encountering God. And last week, we were looking at an encounter that Moses had of the burning bush and of what that means to encounter God. To encounter God means that we are coming upon him, we're meeting him. And sometimes that meeting can be in an unexpected fashion. It wasn't something you were expecting, but God came in and God spoke to you. Maybe even this morning, you've come to church, as it were, in a normal fashion. I've just come, I'm going to be part of the church. And suddenly you feel that God is speaking into your life. You see, there's an encounter that can happen in an unexpected way. But an encounter is where we are meeting with God, where we are encountering God and he is speaking into our lives. And today's title, if we want a title, is Encountering the God of Love. Encountering the God of Love. Last week, as I say, we looked at Moses. He was encountering God at the burning bush. There was this bush in the middle of the desert that was on fire. And that caught his attention. But it wasn't just that it was on fire that his attention was caught. It was the fact that it was on fire and it was not being burnt up. This was like one of those candles on a birthday cake. You blow out and it comes back again. You blow out and it comes back again. This was the fire that was burning. And wow, hey, what is this? It caught his attention. And through that, God encountered him. And we looked at the fact last week that God can encounter us in many ways. Sometimes those encounters can be unexpected. I wasn't expecting that, but God broke into my life. He showed me something. He spoke to, to me about something. And we can encounter God through dreams. We can encounter God through his word. We can encounter God through prayer. There are many ways that we can encounter him. Sometimes it's by us deliberately seeking him, but sometimes it's an unexpected fashion. And we saw also last week that God gives promises in his word to encourage us that we can have encounters with him. James 4 verse 8, it says, Come close to me. Or draw close to me, some versions say, and I will come close to you. I will draw close to you. I will bring myself near to you. So there's an encouragement, a promise for us. Are we prepared to draw close to God? Are we prepared to take a step towards him? Because as we step towards him, he has promised to step towards us. I find that encouraging. Just as in Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. 
That's the thing to take hold of. God has said, I will be found by you. So there's this thing sometimes we think, well, God is so distant but I want to encourage you that God is making his promises to us because he wants us to encounter him and he wants us to have a deeper relationship with him. Relationship implies that fact of continual meeting. That we have encounters that go on, encounters and encounters. We have meeting and meeting and we want to keep meeting God. Now, as I said, last week Moses had the encounter at the burning bush and we looked at that, but that was not the only encounter that Moses himself had with God. Moses had other encounters, numerous encounters. And actually, we want to make mention of another encounter that he had this morning. And this is after he had been up Mount Sinai. Moses, when they got into the wilderness with the children of Israel, they climbed up Mount Sinai, or rather Moses went up Mount Sinai. And at that time, it had fire upon the top of it. And it was covered in smoke and clouds. And there was burning fire And Moses went up and God gave him what are the Ten Commandments. And he came down with the Ten Commandments of God written on tablets of stone. But when he came back to find the Israelites, he found that they had made a golden calf. And they were now worshipping some other idol. The result was that Moses got upset and he breaks the tablets of stone. But God calls him again. And now Moses is now going back up Mount Sinai for the second time. He's going up Mount Sinai And as I say, this is following on the situation of the golden calf. And we're going to read together just a short passage from Exodus so that we see this picture. So Exodus 34, verses 4 to 8, and it says this. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Moses, it says, immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. That verse 6 there, it says that the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh. Now, if you remember, last week we were looking at the burning bush, And this time, in the burning bush, as Moses approached it, Moses hears his name, Moses, Moses. And he's drawn to the fact that, wow, somebody's speaking to me. It was God speaking to him. But on this encounter, rather than God calling out Moses, this encounter's different. This encounter is where God is saying to Moses, hey, when I was at the burning bush, you remember I gave you my name? I said, because you said to me, what name am I supposed to give to the Israelites to know that I have met with you? And he says, you are to say to them, I am has met with you. I am who I am. And in Hebrew, that is the name Yahweh. So God is declaring his name. But he's not just saying his name. You know, in this culture, the name represented everything about a person. So you weren't just named any old name. You were named something that represented who you were, what you were like. Now, we do see that in the fact that 
people are given names, and it's almost like they grow up into that name. And we see people like that, even today. But here, what, Mo, what God is saying to Moses is, look, you know I gave you my name? Hey, let me give you understanding of what my name is. Let me explain to you exactly what there is about my name. The depth, if you like, the understanding, the fullness of what my name really is. And so we've got God standing in front of Moses, and he is now starting to unravel what he is like. You want to know what God is like? Well, let's just go through this. And we'll find out what God himself is like. It says, Yahweh, my name is Yahweh, the strong almighty God. It means he is powerful. He has strength. He can overcome. He has authority. The strong, the mighty God. But not only mighty, the merciful God. The God who is full of tenderness and compassion. Now this is strange. One thing you're saying, mighty God has all power and authority. But now we're saying, but he is merciful. He has compassion. He is filled with tenderness. The gracious one. His nature is goodness itself. He is a loving God. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. That is, one who is not easily irritated. Hello? I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Long-suffering. It means that I am not, or one shouldn't be, easily irritated. God is long-suffering. He's not easily irritated, but he is patient and kind. Just like we like to receive people who are like that to us. But this is what God is like. He is long-suffering. He is generous. Generous. Generous means, if you like, as we would understand it, he is willing to open his wallet for you. Not just the wallet of money, but the wallet of God's resources. He is willing to open his heart to you, not to hold back. You've been with those places, haven't you, where your friend says, hey, let's go and have a cup of coffee. And you order the coffee, and your friend invited you. Yeah? Okay, you, you know the story. So you're standing there, you say, yeah, I have a latte or a cappuccino, whatever. Yeah, you're saying. And your friend invited you, and then your friend turns to you as if you're going to pay for it. You think, What? And you go, well, they're my friend, okay, oh, you know, that's not generous, okay? Generosity is when you're saying, no, 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 hey, let me do it, let me, let. there's something generous, there's something giving about it. Please, put your money away, I want to treat you, I want to bless you. God is generous, generous, that's his nature, that is his heart. He is exuberant, he is lavish, okay? Generosity can be like, oh, okay, I'll buy you a coffee, Lavishness is, coffee, do you want a cake? You have that cake. Hey, let's have another one. Let me pay again. You feel the layers when it comes to lavishness, okay? You, you, oh, yes, I'm loving this. Because lavishness, you feel overwhelmed with that generosity. God is generous. You understand what I mean? Do we like that? I love it. I love it. And God is generous. God is the truth. He was declaring, I am truth. I am the one who is truth. 
I am the one who does not deceive, nor can be deceived. Two for one. You know in the shops, they've got all these things. There's a sort of a, they're encouraging you to buy more than you wanted. Or they've adjusted the price. Uh, you know all those sorts of things. God does not deceive. What he says is who he is. You can trust on it. He does not change. He is the truth. He is the fountain of truth. He is the one from whom all wisdom and knowledge flow. They are derived in him. It's not just that he has wisdom. Wisdom comes from him. That's where it comes from. He goes on to say that in this name, he is declaring himself to be unendingly good. When he says he's going to visit to, to the thousand generations, what it means is there is no end. There's no end to his goodness. It's not like, hang on a second, I bought you a coffee last week. Okay, my generosity ran out then. No, 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 no. He is like, not just like, oh, you won free coffee for a year. He is like, a latte, anytime you want, anywhere you want for the rest of your life. That type of, it goes on and on and on. Abundant generosity. Why am I telling you these things? Because we need to understand them. Those who know their God, is what the scriptures say, are the ones who will do great exploits. Those who know their God. And when we know his name, it says, those who know your name will put their trust in you. When we understand what he is like and how good he is, it causes us to have a desire. Hey, I'm going to put my faith in this. I'm going to put my trust in who this God is. He is unendingly good, but then he goes on to say that he is the one who forgives sins. He is the redeemer. He forgives sins. He forgives transgressions. He forgives iniquities. He pardons us. He forgives us. He is a God of justice as well, though. And yes, he will punish those who sin against him. All of that is packed in the name of who Yahweh is. You could say, well, I just thought he was God. And that might be what Moses said. I thought your name was just Yahweh. That's it. I was calling you Yahweh. Well, actually, I wasn't because it's so holy. I don't let you want to say that. But you know what I mean? It's like, I just thought that's what your name. Now I'm beginning to see. Because you see, when we have encounters with God, as we saw last week, there is revelation that he brings to us. Because God wants to reveal himself to his people so that they understand more of who he is. In this encounter with Moses, this second encounter, it was going further than the first encounter. The first encounter was, this is my name. The second encounter was, let me just unpack more of who I am. Let me explain to you more so that you have more an understanding of this. And if we remember back to the passage we read, the, the response of Moses to this revelation was that he threw himself down in worship. Who is this God? He is amazing. This is the God I want to know. God is loving, kind, and compassionate. Let me just repeat that. God is loving, he is kind, and he is compassionate. Now, what do our circumstances say about that? And it's interesting this morning, we've had some prayer requests which talk about various people's circumstances, or perhaps we could even talk about our own circumstances. Some circumstances declare, well, hang on just one moment. You see, my friend has got cancer. 
My friend here is in debt and they've got problems. My friend here hasn't got a job. Or we can be looking at ourselves and say, hang on just one moment. God is loving, kind and compassionate. Yes, he is. But what about my circumstances and the challenges that I am going through? I don't necessarily see that my circumstances, my feelings, my life would indicate that that is true. And these are the thoughts that are often happening in our lives. Because we can say, well, look, if God is like that, why am I going through such challenges? Why are my feelings telling me to think differently about God? And yet we also know that God never changes. So if he says he is loving and merciful and full of compassion and long-suffering and all of those things, then he doesn't change. But that's not always how we feel it is. It's not that God was love and now isn't. It's that God was love, God is love, and God always shall be love. You see, there's a whole picture about him. He has declared how much he loves us in the way that he sent his own son to die for us. God is steadfast, he is unchanging, but that's not always how we feel about it. Relationships. Who here is in a relationship? And perhaps only one of, well, because if we think about who's in a relationship, what we think of is, uh, uh, somebody got a special relationship? Is that two people, uh, a, a guy and a girl coming together and they're thinking about getting married? Then we'd say, oh, they're in a relationship. You know, are they engaged or whatever? They're in a relationship. But actually, I want to look much broader than that. Who's here in a relationship? As in, we are all in relationships. You know what? Relationships are actually so much part of our lives, so important to our lives, we often just, well, we don't even think about them. Because we've got all sorts of relationships. We have maybe husband and wife relationship, marriage relationships, boyfriend and girlfriend relationships, but brother and sister relationship, mum and dad relationship, colleague at work relationship, friend relationship, acquaintance relationships, all sorts of relationships, and all of us have relationships. And all of those relationships, in one way or a form, are vital to our lives. We thank God for the relationships that we love. We complain and moan at him about the relationships that are difficult. Isn't that true? And you know what? When everything's fine and dandy, God is loving. <laughs> God is gracious. God is kind. But when relationships somewhere in our lives are some different thing, not necessarily just between husband and wife or mum and dad or mum and children or dad and children, but maybe work colleagues somewhere in our lives, when relationships go sour... I'm not so sure about the goodness of God. Why? Because I'm feeling pain. You see, when we have a breakdown in relationship, it can often cause pain in our lives. Relationships, why can they go wrong? Well, for all sorts of reasons, really. Disagreements. A relationship is about two people relating to each other. There can be a difference in intimacy, how intimate that relationship is, but I can't, basically a relationship is about two individual people who are relating to each other. And in that relationship, in the way that they relate, there can be disagreements. Well, hang on a second, I see it this way. Yeah, but I don't, I see it a different way. And suddenly where there had been unity, there becomes a difference of opinion. And disagreements can cause relationships to go wrong because people don't see things the same way. Not only disagreements, but disappointments. People get let down. You said you were going to do this, 
but you haven't. You promised you were going to fulfill that. You, I thought when I was marrying you, you were going to be like this, but now I've discovered this. The reality of this in relationships affects all of us, whether it be in the center of a home or whether it be as your work colleague. You said you were going to get that work done by Friday. Now how's this going to make me look? There's a disagreement. There's disappointments that come to us. And there's disrespect also that can come into a relationship. Disrespect, what I mean is you're no longer treating that person you are in relationship or the way that they are treating you is disrespectful. They're looking down, oh, I knew they were never going to work out as anything. can happen in the office quite easily. I thought they were going to do this piece of work for me, they're not up to any good. Suddenly they're disrespecting you, they're looking down on you, they're judging you. Sometimes that happens in marriages. You feel like your husband or your wife, they're judging me. And it affects the relationship. You'll be made to make, feel a lesser person, and you're feeling at that time that things are just, this is not fair. This is not right. What happens when those things happen in our relationships? There's confusion. There's rejection. There's pain. Pain. And what do we do with pain? Or let me ask another way. What do I do with pain? Try to get rid of it. I run away from it. If I've got a headache, which is pain, I will medicate myself for it because I want to get away from pain. In relationships, when there's relational pain, what do we want to do? We want to get away from the pain because it hurts us. Incidentally, this is very much like God. If we go back to the beginning of Genesis and we read the first few chapters of Genesis, how God had created this wonderful world. But then as chapter 3 comes and how sin has entered into the world, I think it's by the time you get to chapter 6, we're just about Noah, where God is saying this, the pain he is feeling in his heart because of the sinfulness of mankind. The relationship that he loved having was breaking down. And our God himself, what does he feel in the midst of his relationship? He feels pain in his heart. And when relationships go wrong for us, we feel pain. And the tendency is for pain, we want to get away from pain. So when we have difficulty in relationships and there is pain experienced, what happens is, ooh, there's a separation. Now this separation may be for a few moments. This separation may be for a few days. You thought you were doing something innocently. You didn't listen to your wife. She doesn't speak to you. This is not an example from my household. This is a general example so that nobody need worry about my situation. Okay? General example. I won't say who this example is about. No, no, no. The general, husband does something wrong. Wife's extremely upset. They don't talk for two days. I didn't get angry. I didn't get angry, so therefore everything's all right because neither of the parties got angry. But they didn't speak. You see, there was a separation in the relationship. Can I just say, if by any chance that's a situation in your household and you're patting yourself on the back because you never get angry, can I just point out, you have a passive-aggressive type of style to life. 
and there is still breakdown in relationship, but we haven't got time for a counselling session. We can go into that. What I want to say to you, pain causes separation. Scripture goes and puts it like this. It says in Amos 3, verse 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. In other words, how can we enjoy the fellowship and walking together, holding hands, being together? Because when there becomes separation in our relationship, there's exactly what happened. I'm not walking with you. And I have, I admit, there have been times in my life where I have wanted to walk away to another room from my beloved wife. <laughs> Only on once or twice occasion. She's normally done it first. Though. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> there can be a separation when there is pain in relationship. And that comes about because of disrespecting, because of disappointments, because of disagreements. Those things happen. In relationships, the pain we feel can be made up from lots of things. Feeling misunderstood. Feeling overlooked. Feeling downtrodden. This is not about who was right and who was wrong. What I'm talking about is how it makes you feel. How it makes you feel. Somebody kicks off, I'm just using a colloquial phrase, at you... You know, like, why is the washing up left here? Just as a coin situation. Doesn't happen in our house because I do the washing up, so that's under control. No. You feel, uh, why should I always have to do this? Why is it my job all the time to load the dishwasher? Why is it me? Why do I have to do the ironing? Why? Let's not pretend that nobody has thought like this. This is because it's relationships, and relationships affect our daily lives. But when things have caused pain to us, then we start to feel misunderstood. We start to feel overlooked. We start to feel downtrodden, like we are less than. We start to feel rejected. That's how we start to feel. This pain is real. We feel it in our hearts, and we have... I guess all of us, in one way or another, experience these things. And I know that's true because we're living on earth and we are individual people who have many complex relationships around us. The question I want to ask at this point is rather than take us down any lower, is to ask this, what will change this? The only thing I know that will change relationships is love being displayed in one way or another. Love being displayed in forgiveness. Forgiveness because you're saying, okay, you did break my mum's best piece of china, which was a family heirloom. However, I recognise that I should forgive you. That's forgiveness. We can issue forgiveness. Love displayed is the only way we can overcome pain, like this in relationships. Forgiveness is one way that love can be displayed. Choosing to continue to believe in the person you've got relationship with, choosing to continue to trust them, even though some of the trust has been withdrawn from the account of the relationship, but choosing to still say, I'm still going to trust, I'm still going to believe that they are for me, not against me. That is part of a loving response that can help in relationships. Choosing not to judge. I told you so. No, no, no. Choosing not to announce such things like that. You never... You, choosing not to do that. Choosing not to judge is important. Love being displayed is when we are choosing to love that person in whatever this situation that may be. 
And sometimes we can talk about the love that's in a family because that seems like, oh, there should be love in families. But Jesus said this, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Well, we want to have that quickly qualified, don't we? Because that way we can make sure we're in the right place. And of course, Jesus tells a story about the good Samaritan, a man who was, should be rejected by the Jew, by the Samaritan. Samar- oh, anyway, what, forget about the story. But Jesus did good things in it, okay? He did very good things when he told that story, even though it's gone from my mind. The point is that somebody chose to love. And that helps to bring people back together. Without walking in love, the challenges that we face in relationships, they sometimes feel as though they can't be overcome. Now, I've brought this story, I've brought to this point because I want us just to consider for one moment about the love that God has and the love that God has showed to each one of us. God wants relationship with every one of us. Just as I was saying, back in Genesis, God was wanting relationship with his people, but what he found was that his people, the ones that he loved, they were sinning and sinning all the time. And it was causing his heart intense pain. Intense pain. God wants relationship with every one of us, and God wants to encounter us, to meet with us as individuals. But we, do we want that? We want to pursue the pathways that we feel are right. We want to pursue the pathways that make us feel good. But do we think of the pain that we put God through in the way that we live our lives? Do we think of the fact that sometimes maybe God might feel Misunderstood. Now, I know I'm looking at a human point of view here in God's thinking, but do you ever think that sometimes God might feel misunderstood? Hey, that's never the way I intended it. You're taking this completely wrong. You're taking it out of context. You don't understand what I'm seeking to do. Do you ever feel that God feels downtrodden, overlooked? Do you ever feel that God feels despised? Do you ever feel that God himself is rejected? What, by us? Yes, by us. Because the truth is we do reject him. Listen, God, I don't like the idea of doing that. I'd rather do what I want. That's rejection of what God's promises. And so often, for us, you know, you have a friend and they had a bit of difficulty, you forgive them, and then they go and do the same thing again? Come on. Trust being withdrawn, but you hold on to hope. I remember this friend's been good to me, so you do forgive them, and everything carries on, and then they do the same thing again. Twice, three times, three times in your mind you say, I've had enough of this. Why should I keep on forgiving them? Why should I? And you know those feelings? Why should I keep doing this? And it comes back. You've done this before, and all the old things come back. You remember them again, and you're announcing, why should I be like this? Why should I forgive? And that's only after three times, maybe four times, of somebody's offense. How do you think God feels when he sees you doing the same sin yet again? And you come to that place, and you're saying, God, I'm terribly sorry. Please forgive me. As we do. And God might turn around and say, this is the 901st time. But when we put it in the reality of our relationships and how it makes us feel, by this time we would have rejected him 
or us a long time ago. It's time for us to think a little bit about how we treat God. So often we ignore his commands. I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel to every person because I want you to baptize them and disciple them in my ways. A great commission that's given out, oh yeah, but it doesn't quite fit with my life today because I need to go out and do this today. So we're putting the commands of God on one side to suit what our lives need to do. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't understand our lives. I'm just trying to make a point of the fact that whether we like it or not, yes, we do disobey his commands. Yes, we do ignore his commands. Yes, we do disobey his laws. Yes, we do want to do what we want to do. Yes, we do carry on walking in sinful ways that we've apologized for a while ago, but they seem to come back again because there seems to be a pattern of behavior that we haven't quite got out of. And so we're still living in that. Yes, we are still affected by the wounds that others have made upon our lives. And that's that sometimes makes us very cross at God and we tell him so and we reject him in that and I'm not interested in you and we disrespect God by the way that we can't even give ourselves to him. And you see there's pain that comes in relationships and God feels the pain of our sin. But this God we're talking about He revealed himself to Moses in a way that he wanted to show him, this is what I am really like. Let's just go to Ephesians chapter 2. Our God is loving. Our God is kind. Our God is compassionate. Ephesians 2 verse 3 starts off like this. All of us used to live that way, the way that I've been describing, that way of rebellion, that way of fighting against God, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Of course we were, because we were against him in every way, just like everyone else. But then verse 4, it says this, but God is so rich in mercy. So rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace you have been saved. You see, when we start to recognize what God is really like and how he really treats us, because if we were to treat everybody, if he was to treat us, rather, as the way we tend to treat others, Once, twice, three times, four times, same thing, that's it, over and out, you're gone, next. Where would we be? But you see, our God is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Full of compassion. Full of grace. And Moses, what did he discover? He discovered that this is a mighty God, a merciful God, a gracious God, a long-suffering God, a generous God, one who lavishes his goodness and kindness upon us, a God who tells the truth, a God who is the fountain of truth, the knowledge, wisdom, they're all derived from him, this God who pours out his love so continuously before us, and yet so often we don't love him in the same way. 1 John, 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12, say this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. 
But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Now let me take you back to the relational breakdowns that we all have. Where we're suddenly saying, no, I'm not going to forgive. Don't they understand what they've done to me? Don't they? And we go through a whole list and we can't move because we don't want to move because our lives seem to be held, the value of our lives seems to be held in the position that we must stake. And yet God has said, if you are called by my name and you belong to me, then I want you to love others as I have loved you, which means you've got to go the extra mile. And it's interesting, you know, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is that God, when he comes to us and when we dwell with him and we have encounters with him and as we read his word and his life comes into us, then that produces a fruit in us. What is that fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience. And as you read through those, you realize it doesn't tell you that suddenly relationships are going to get easy. It doesn't say that all of your relational things are going to change. The annoying people in your world will disappear. That doesn't say, that's not what the fruit of the Spirit is about. The fruit of the Spirit is about changing you so you can best deal with those people in a loving, caring, generous, lavish fashion, just as God has poured out His love into your life. The reason that we love is that He loved us first. That's the reason that we love. We get changed by his love. And I don't know what your situation is, what you're going on in your relationships, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in your family, whether it be... Just give me a few more seconds. Keep playing, Dan. You're doing great. I was reading this morning, and I was reading in... Uh, 2 Samuel, and the story there was of Absalom, and Absalom's sister gets raped. And he knows the person because it's his brother, half-brother. David, King David is the father, but Absalom's sister Tamar, she gets raped. And it's interesting, it's said in the scriptures, it says that Absalom said nothing, neither good or bad. So you could say, like, oh, it, must, it seems like Amnon has been forgiven. And this goes on for a couple of years. So it's like that terrible situation gets forgotten about. And then two years later, you read how Absalom organizes a feast where he invites Am Amnon to come along and he has him murdered. Now that's just a story, and I could go a lot more into that story, but I just want to use that. There's an example there of somebody's sister being raped. Has your sister been raped? Have you been raped? I can't, I, that hasn't happened to me. But I have some understanding of what that must be, only a fraction of what it must be like. How terrible is that? How does, 
that person forgive. And yet, I want to use this as an example of something that is awful. But you know what God calls us to do? He says, we've got to forgive. Why? Because we have been forgiven. But I've never done that. It's not about what we have done. We have all committed sins of whatever description. Some of them have a desperately life-changing effect upon the person who was sinned against. Rape, for instance, being a terrible example of that. But our God is a God of love. And I want to tell you this. People who've come to Jesus Christ, you know what? You are new creations in Christ. New creations. And as our human beings, those that have been violated, those that have been affected, those that have been so desperately wounded, as we come to Christ, he has done something in us and planted the seed of his spirit in us. So it's not about us or what we could do, because of ourselves we can do nothing. In fact, we can only live in the old way, the old way of behavior. But Christ has come to make us new. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we have power to be able to forgive. And even Paul writes in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ. Through, and that is in the scripture, it's through Messiah, through the anointed one. You see, because that's where we find our secret. It's only by walking with the anointed one that we have power to forgive what seems to be impossible. But let me tell you this, if we draw on that power of Jesus Christ, the power of God, the love of God that is available to us through Jesus Christ, if we draw on that power, we have the strength to start the process of healing relationships. But it is only through his power. But we've been created anew in him so that we might be able to live according to his ways and so that we might be able to do this. Uh, one final scripture before we finish. 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6. This is not on your screens. It says this, If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's made me start to think again, how amazing was Jesus? How loving was Jesus? How accepting was Jesus? That doesn't mean to say that nobody in his world was nasty to, wasn't nasty to him, they were always loving to him. People said all sorts of stuff. He, he would have had rejection thrown at him, but he loved, through the power of the Holy Spirit, everybody that was around him. It is possible because God is for us, not against us. It is possible because he's the lifter of our head and he is the lover of our souls. So we can say with confidence that if God be for us, who can be against us? That's what we can say. Now, I don't know what your situation is, and we're going to go to worship just in a second. But if you have a relational issue that really has been bringing you down, that you feel pain about, I want you to look to the Father this morning and ask him afresh, Lord, will you please help me with this pain? Will you help this pain to go away? Will you fill me 
with the knowledge of your love and what you are like, just as you revealed it to Moses. Will you fill me with the knowledge of that love that I may have capacity through you to start to love others in a different way? Now, maybe you've been deeply affected by something. Then just feel free to be able to come out the front. We can have people pray with you. You don't need to announce to everybody, look at me, this is what's happened. It's not about that. What we are here for is to say, listen, God, our God is able to rescue is able to save, is able to heal because he is full of love, full of grace. Unending love, unending love, amazing grace, unending love, amazing grace. That is what's been given to every person upon the planet through Jesus Christ. Unending love, amazing grace. It's what's been given to us, is given to us, is available for us on a day-by-day basis to help us. The fruit of the Spirit is what happens when He comes and He is making His home in you to change you and to enable you to be an agent of change. I don't know about you, but I desperately need that unending love and that amazing grace afresh in my life. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your mercy and grace to flood this place and the lives of every person here. You are the God who heals. You are the God who delivers. You are the God who conquers. You are a God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. You are the God that can take memories of pain and bring them into a place where the pain is removed because you are mighty, because you are glorious. Father, I pray for every person here and myself to ask, Father, that you would pour out a fresh anointing of your love into our lives. Grant to us, O God, the understanding that you are a God who loves continually and that you are for us, not against us. May our hearts, O God, be filled with the understanding that you are indeed our Heavenly Father who is here to help us and you are not condemning us, but that you are giving us the richness of your mercy and grace on a day-by-day basis. Father, we want to thank you, but we're asking you, Lord, to come and heal the wounds of our hearts, to come and help us in our relationships, to come and help us, Father, in our marriages, in our families, with our children, with our people at work, with the associates that we have around us. Lord, we're praying, will you come and help us? Will you help us as your people to be a people who love others as you have called us to? Will you help us, Lord, to be abundant in that, overflowing in that, lavish in that, oh God, that somehow through our lives, others can see how great you are, how merciful you are, how loving and gracious you are. Father, will you work in our lives, your will and your purpose? And Father, will you accomplish the complete plans that you have for each and every one of us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish there. If you've been stirred by something particularly and you want to have prayer, then please make yourself known to somebody who you know in the church, you trust, that you can pray with, or we can pray with you down the front, but don't leave 
without God doing business with you. God bless you. Have a great week. It's good to see you.